this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks. Book Riot listeners can download a free audiobook on us and get an extended free trial of the service by going to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 53, and we're recording on Friday, May 16th. 2014. I'm Jeff O'Neill, and I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're the editors of BookRiot.com. We've got good news to start this week. We do. Uh, we... Two weeks ago? Who knows? No one knows when we talked several, about this. Several, several weeks. Sometime in the past, we... I'm right into the news here. I, mm-hmm. did, I didn't even ask you how you are. I assumed you're okay. <laughs> I'm lovely. Are you it's, okay? It's a sunny Friday afternoon. I have a beer. Aha. And things are good. Well... I can't transition from that, but here we go. Uh, we talked about a ban on outside books in British prisons, and it looks like that ban is going to be lifted because someone over there realized, hey, that's dumb, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. So if you have someone you need to send a book to in a British prison, you're free to do so. Yes, it, there was a petition online. It was a, uh, I think it was a change.org petition. Uh, writers wrote in, they got over 19,000 signatures uh, from all kinds of people who thought Is this that was a lot? I have no ridiculous. idea. What, for, for, I don't, I don't know. I think it's fewer than is necessary to get some attention, but uh, I, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but 19,000, like that's, it's not a small mm-hmm. number. No. Uh, and it looks like people are listening to it. So UK prisoners will be able to read books that come to them from outside the prison. And it says uh, in the post that we'll link to in the show notes that like the way that the rule got made was under you know this impression that like people are constantly trying to smuggle stuff into prisons in books, and they're coming back around and saying you know not actually like we always check the things that come into the prisons and of someone's course, seen the shawshank redemption one too many times right right like of course there are some people it says now and then people tried to smuggle in drugs that way but uh we have found very few of mm-hmm. these items and most books and magazines that came in didn't have any drugs in them at all so like this was not a problem in the first place that we made this rule around and so now that people are talking about it it's you going know, away now that i think about it very few of the the books that come into my home have cocaine in it. Like, not very many. Less than you would think, really. Not that many come Well, in I mean, cocaine. have you swabbed them all? Are you sure? I, swab, was... I swab everything. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. Uh, <laughs> I just... Whoa there. Yeah, right. Uh, there was that study last year where uh, somebody, some scientists did, like, swab samples of library books for all kinds of oh, stuff. Oh, right. I think we talked about that. I think maybe we did. And like was, your your books do have like trace amounts of drugs and stuff on right, them. Right, and all sorts of other bodily Let's, things. Why, why, where's now? You no. said you swab everything. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That's, that's my <laughs> let's fault. Do, let's I'm move sorry. on. Let's do you our know, first wait, sponsor. Speaking of petitions, maybe if we got a petition where publishers had to bundle print and ebooks together, they'd have to do something about it. Oh, can we okay, Can we yes. get on this? Can we just make a petition to be like, dudes, Change publishing. we want this. <laughs> Change, change.org. We want... Um, 
We want our Toni Morrison ebook and print or together. We don't like this. Can we do this? I don't know. It's worth a shot. Probably it's not as important as prisons. Probably not. Not as much. I mean, I'm but, pissed about it, but come on. And now let's do our first sponsor. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is audible. This whole thing is going off the rails. We're five minutes in. This is, I'm on the rails. I'm on the rails. No, this is audible.com. They do audiobooks, and they are the largest supplier, retailer of audiobooks. They've got over 150,000 titles to choose from, every genre you want. Uh, if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookwrite, you can get a free ebook and a free 30-day trial. Try it out. If you've never tried an audiobook before and you're listening to a podcast, well, I've got news for you. You're going to like an audiobook. Um, you have free apps for, the, for iPhones, Android, and Windows Phone. You can do it on your iPhone, iPod, tablet, Samsung Galaxy Tab, everything you can really reasonably buy anymore that can play audio and has a wireless connection you can do. Unlike a streaming or rental service, you get to own the files. They're yours. You can pull them off and play them um, on supported devices. Anywhere you can access your library, uh, my library. Um, for example, Michelle, Michelle and I share an account. So anything I download, she doesn't necessarily have to download it on her phone, but she can if she wants to. Uh, and you have support where you can share your mobile account with up to three other people. Um, so uh, like a family plan or a bunch of audiobook nerd friends, uh, which if you are, send us an email because we need to be friends with you because you're an audiobook nerd. Uh, you can switch back and forth between pr your Kindle ebook and your audiobook, which is, I think is really cool. If some, in some conditions you just want to read and then you're getting in the car and you have to know what happens next, plug in your iPhone or your um, Android device and open up the Audible app and it keeps track of that for you right there so you don't have to miss a beat. You can, you know, sleep button-free mode. You can control how quickly or slowly it's narrated, which is nice. If you want to go a little faster, you're trying to get through it, or you want to uh, slow it down and luxuriate in the glorious languid prose of whatever it is you're listening to, you can do that as well. Um, so free 30-day trial membership comes with an audiobook. You don't have to pay for this. And you go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. And you said you had a, uh, a pick. I do. I started a new audiobook earlier this week. And yesterday I went out to run errands on the West End of Richmond. And I got so absorbed in this book that I missed my exit. And then because I was all the way out in the West End of Richmond, I had to go like an extra five miles before I could turn around and get back on track, uh, which is a great sign for a book. Uh, I'm re listening to Contagious, Why Things Catch On by Jonah Berger, which is about word of mouth and what makes things popular. Uh, and he sort of takes the Malcolm Gladwell tipping point stuff, um, which he said, you know, when he was younger, he read and loved the tipping point, which is more than 10 years old now. But is that found, right? 10 years yes, ago? Yes, it is. Wow. Okay. Anyway. Right. Uh, but that, uh, that book and Gladwell's work uh, tends to be very descriptive, but not very qualitative. Uh, and he really wanted some juicy, tasty, crunchy data. Oh, you mean quantitative, not qualitative. Right. Yes. Okay. Just for the record. Uh, well, no, Gladwell's book was qualitative. Yes, you said you Did said I? you said the new book was qualitative. I believe you. And because we like to pick nits, I thought we should just be right about that. <laughs> I believe you. We oh, should no, no, be right fine. about that. <laughs> quantitative is data. Yes, right, it is. And go. so Bo J Jonah Berger uh, wanted data, and this happens to be his field. So he has now spent years and lots of graduate study, uh, and now teaching lots of professionals how to study their own fields and figure out why things catch on. Uh, because it used to be about having a higher quality product spending more money on advertising and offering things at a lower price point. But because of the internet, it's not really that way anymore. Word of mouth works 
differently. And so this is a look at word of mouth and what makes some things uh, become popular and other things not become popular. And they break down over the like decade of study that he's done in all kinds of industries, uh, what has made different products successful. They've identified some common themes. It's not totally random what goes viral on the internet. It's not totally random which songs become popular the way that people like to say sometimes, oh, there's no predicting it. It turns out that actually there is some predicting it. And there are some things that you can do to try to game the system uh, and give your product or the thing that you're trying to build awareness for a leg up. Um, and most fascinating, like this is the most fascinating fact that I learned in the early part of the oh, audio I'm ready. Book. I'm ready for this. How much, what percent of oh, word of mouth? This is what I do to you. This yeah, is I know, right? Oh, God. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Shoe, other All foot. Right. All right, here we go. What percent of word of mouth do you think happens online? 11%. Oh my God, Jeff, you were supposed to say like 70. Nah, I went the other way because I knew that's what you were setting me because up for. Because I set it up. I shouldn't yeah. have set it up. This is my error. Uh, at any rate, it's seven. Okay. And he said when they, when they ask this question of people, people commonly say um, because sharing of ideas and products and stuff is so prevalent online and you can see it so easily that they think it's somewhere between 45, 55, 65. Mm -hmm. Some people even say upwards of 70, but it's actually just 7% of word of mouth mm -hmm. sharing happens online because the amount of time that most people spend online is still a They're lot very lower. small. Yeah, that's what, right. People even, who aren't us. <laughs> even though I, I was, I Look was clued off to be contrary. And I started thinking about it for a second. Cause like you and I use Twitter a lot, right? Right. And I know that only 16% of Americans are on Twitter. So right there, you know, only 85% of Americans even use the internet regularly. So right, right. there, you've got to knock it you know, 15% off the top. I should have hit you with this one cold. Yeah, you really should have just like, you should have <laughs> called me at like five in the morning while I'm still <laughs> groggy. Like Jeff, what percentage of <laughs> So it really gonna, is, so word of mouth isn't just a metaphor anymore. Like it's actually people talking to each other. Right. Uh, and people uh, recommending products to mm. each other and talking about where they went on vacation or who waxes their eyebrows or, you know, any of, any of those things. And more of it, uh, happens face to face between people who know each other. Um, and you can choose the, like the target audience. Like you might not need to have my recommendation for an eyebrow mm -hmm. waxer because that might not be a thing that you do. And we don't live in the same city. So I wouldn't broadcast that message to you, but I would broadcast it to my friends in Richmond who I know are looking for a new salon to go to. And when you put things out on social media, they just go so much wider and aren't targeted to people who need that message. Uh, so I'm way down the rabbit hole now, but at any rate, this is what my brain was doing, listening mm. to Contagious yesterday afternoon. And then uh, he was starting to get into concrete examples. And so I was starting to think about like, well, what could we at Book Riot do with these principles? And how could we use it in publishing to talk about books and authors and make ideas um, become more popular or to widen conversations about stuff? It's really interesting. So if, you, if you're into that sort of understanding the landscape of how things um, get passed around in culture, um, whether you would use it for business purposes or not, just your own understanding of what makes something go viral um, or become popular. It's really interesting. And it's, again, Contagious, Why Things Catch On by Jonah Berger. And you could get that as your free audiobook from Audible. If you went to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot, it lets them know that you came from us. And I think it's only about five hours long, which is on the shorter end um, for an audiobook. So it's also not a huge commitment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. And um, we both like nonfiction. We do. On uh, audiobook, so that's I could never get into fiction on audiobook myself. But once I made the 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 jump, 
over to nonfiction. Um, that's where yeah. I do my nonfiction reading. It makes now. me feel like I'm driving around with a really smart friend who's just telling me stuff. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like super long, well researched NPR stories. Mm. That's kind of how I think. I, like maybe I've just been trained that NPR is something you do in the car, and oh. so nonfiction plugs into that a little bit more. Um, but also, I was never a fan of like when This American Life would have like a short story or something on it. It's like, nah, I want nonfiction. But anyway, um, so if you if you've yet to try out Audible uh, or or audiobooks in general, but especially Audible since they're doing the spot, um, and you haven't tried nonfiction to get into it, I would really suggest that. And uh, we've recommended some other nonfiction recently. Um, let's see. Oh, I'm still in the middle of Creativity Incorporated by Ed Catmull, which is about the um, founding and rise in current creative and business culture of Pixar. Which cool. continues to fascinate. Um, Speaking of Pixar and movies, yeah, should we get go. into the news? Yeah, I, it's, I'm rubbing off on you. <laughs> Look at that segue. That was great. I'm jealous. Now I have to kill you. Oh, no. That's very bad. Okay, okay, good, okay. That I interrupted your segue, but go Good book-related movie news Speaking this week. Speaking of movie news. Lots of it. This is good. Uh, this is this great is, stuff. This is great stuff. Um, Wild by Cheryl Strait, which is the memoir uh, that she wrote about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail uh, by herself when she was in her late 20s following some very difficult, uh, very difficult uh, personal experiences. Really amazing uh, book. It it went viral uh, the year that it came out and she has become wildly popular and um, was optioned for film by Fox Searchlight and the, the film starring Reese Witherspoon now has a release date. It's coming out December 5th. So you can put a little red circle around that date on your calendar. If this is a thing that you're excited about, I will be there with bells on uh, to see Reese Witherspoon uh, portray this great story. And uh, really that's just, that's it. That's the story. It's well, coming out I December say, 5th. I, two uh, secondary indicators here. One, that December 5th release date tells you something about what the studio thinks of the movie. Oscar season. Oscar season. Spot. Yeah. Also, and I don't, maybe we've talked about this before, or maybe I saw someone smarter than me say this because it doesn't sound like the kind of thing I would normally say, but it's kind of weird that this is like Witherspoon's first big movie after like that drunken rampage against cops. Remember that? Ah, well, you know, if you get plastered all over the internet for a drunken rampage against cops, the only logical thing to do is go read a bunch of Cheryl Strayed and then channel Cheryl Strayed. Well, but, all, but I mean, it's kind of like she's she she would be in the uh, pocket for needing a sort of Cheryl Strayed-like uh, moment of clarity, yeah. you know, kind of going out and purging herself of the, well, the stuff swirling around her. I, I follow Cheryl Strayed on Twitter and Facebook, and I've seen her post lots of pictures from mm -hmm. the set. So it seems to me that they are spending some time together and Reese Witherspoon is getting to absorb the Cheryl Strayed I, I've heard that Witherspoon is a reader. I've heard this. I think that, that she um, especially likes Jennifer Egan. Well, and uh, Reese Witherspoon was also, I think, involved in the very first conversations about acquiring Gone Girl. I don't uh, know if, if she ultimately is part of how that happened. Yeah, I don't know that. Um, You're right. I, the, I remember hearing that too. Yeah, it's not the first time that she's been associated with um, something to do with the film rights for a current popular book. I think she no. is a reader. I feel like I've read an interview with her about the book. I know. That she I got likes. a little stat for you about the movie Wild. Do you mm -hmm. want to hear this? I do. Um, I think I told you that uh, offline, well, we were probably online, not on the show, off air. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, that uh, I read an interview with Cheryl Strait in Scratch Magazine, which is actually a really cool uh, online magazine about money and writing. So if you're a writer or interested in the, the dollars and cents side of how publishing and freelance writing and editing and all those things work, um, they have a nice publication over there. And they had an interview with Cheryl Strayed where she talked openly and honestly about the money part of her writing career. Oh, cool. Um, 
And I didn't ever hear I, – I, somehow I didn't know this, though I've long been interested in it. You know, the the standard fee, I guess, if so, if a movie studio options your book, they basically give you a flat rate for a set amount of time that it's ours to have the option to make a movie out of it. So hmm. some – you know, usually it's not a whole lot. It's like uh, tens, tens of thousands of dollars. But if they actually do make a movie out of it, um, the standard is that the writer will get 2.5% of the production budget is their fee, huh. which I think is interesting. So, that so, is interesting. So it's a $100 million movie, you get mm-hmm. $2.5 bucks. So there you go. I, I've always been fascinated by that. That um, is interesting. So I, I just, don't know. If, did you think that's high, low? What do you think? Were you I don't expecting know. I more? Mean, two and a, to get $2.5 bucks. Well, that's, they, a, that's I, a hundred I mean, million bones. Maybe she I mean, that's a hundred million dollar movie. Right. That's a lot of movie. Yeah. It's still a lot of bones. Also going to move some books because you have a big movie. Right. I, mean, I hope she also bit. gets royalties or like whatever the movie version of royalties is. That the she back end? Just... I don't think so. I think no? you get it up front. That's the deal you make because mm. some of these movies, some of these movies lose money. Sure. So this is kind of, uh, you know, I guess like an advance where there's no, you automatically earn it out. I guess there's no. Um, after it doesn't depend on what happens. So in an actually way, it's not at all like an advance. Good metaphor, Jeff. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> just that a is lump really sum. interesting. I just watched this week on Netflix a documentary called "That Guy Who Was in That Thing" mm-hmm. um, about it with sixteen different male character actors um, from Hollywood films who are ta- who talk about the finances of trying to build a career not being a Hollywood star. And it mentions that there are two hundred and forty thousand working actors with. Oh. SAG cards, 240,000. And that at any given time, only about 100 of them are considered stars by Mm -hmm. the American public. Um, But the average annual income of anyone holding a SAG card uh, for acting work is $5,000 a year or less. Yeah, that's not a lot. Um, And like that kind of real talk about what it's like to try to make a living doing art, whether it's acting or writing is, I think that's a thing that we're seeing more of maybe because um, the internet culture values transparency and it's safer to start talking about those things than it used to be, but it seems writers are uh, speaking up about it mm-hmm. more. And now I'm really interested in like, <laughs> like did John Green only get, you know, two and a half percent of whatever the budget is for the fault in our stars. And when that thing goes insane on June 6th, after the movie comes out, he's not going to get any of the back end. I mean, I, all, all this said is that's the standard deal. So depending on, you know, depending on the specific um, property or talent, you can or negotiate how good your something. Agent to, is. <laughs> yeah, well, like for example, one thing that's been talked about recently is the ebook royalties are starting for backlist are starting to come up for a lot of people. Like the to renegotiate with their publishers, and you know, the higher profile author you are, you have some room to negotiate there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know that's the standard, um, and I guess you can probably more or less depending on how good your agent is, how badly you want the movie to get made, so on and so forth. Um, it looks like the budget for Wild is about $50 million from what I see here. Okay. So, but you know who's going to come out like a bandit? Andy Weir. Mm-hmm. Because. There's, there's your segue. There it is. Because Ridley Scott is in talks to direct a movie version of The Martian and the, also in talks to star in it is uh, Matt Damon. I'm so so excited. So that about and it's this. a sci-fi movie which has huge budgets. So there's a there's a thing. If you're writing a book that you want to get told uh, made into a movie, make it a sci-fi movie because immediately you need a giant budget. Whereas Wild, it's like people with uh, trail shoes and dirty T-shirts. Like right. you don't have to spend that much on that. I, man, I really hope that this actually 
I think it's going to happen. It's it's built to be a it's, movie, man. It's, it's going to so be great. great. And it reads. Have you read it yet? Yeah, I did. I okay, did. yeah. I, it, did. I feel like it read like a movie in the bouncing back and forth mm-hmm. between the main character stranded on Mars trying to figure out you know, how to get back in touch with NASA and then how to get home and how not even the tech stuff, but also just how he's going to survive without uh, a very large supply of food. And then we get to be in the rooms in, at NASA while they're solving the problem and trying to figure out how to get to him and uh, what they can communicate and how long it will take and how long he can stretch out the supplies and the materials that he has. It's such a great fun book and it's so filled with the problems that yeah. translate really well. I think Damon's a good choice. I was thinking about this. I do too. Um, because, well, first of all, he's a big star. Uh, also, Damon has this weird combination that is a little rare, I think, among Hollywood stars where we think of him as smart, right? Like his mm-hmm. characters, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's Goodwill Hunting and all that stuff. The, the, well, and uh, the, what, Linus in the Ocean's Eleven movies? Yeah, well, he did, he did go to Harvard. Like he's a smart guy just in general, but it comes off also in his acting. He's t- he seems tough, and I think that's a remnant of the Bourne movies. Mm-hmm. And he's also kind of vulnerable at the same time. Well, I think he's right now about the right age also to play this character. Somebody, I think one of the Book Riot contributors said on our private back channels, they thought he was a little old for the role. And I started thinking like, you know, it, astronaut, I guess, seems like a young, sexy, hot Well, the uh, scientists usually on, have. On, on, uh, on the space stuff, is they're usually a little bit older, the science Right, like you people. have to, uh, and also you have to be pretty experienced and go through right. a lot of training before they trust you to shoot you up in this <laughs> yeah, space. Right. So I believe that Matt Damon is, uh, is right for this. And also what I'm really excited about is that uh, that main character's side of the story is, uh, I guess it'll probably be a lot of voiceover. Um, it's going to be like, from, it's like cast away in space. That's right, what I mean. Like that's his, what it is. From his, it's his log of mm-hmm. being stuck there. Um, but the voice of it is so dry and sarcastic and funny and self-deprecating. And I can just he- hear Matt Damon doing that. Right. Like, maybe as a promo for it, they'll have Matt Damon record the audiobook, like oh, a new version I like that. of the audiobook. I like what you're thinking can, there. We can hear Matt Damon tell this story, but I think it's perfect. It is. It's um, going to follow in a relatively long line of like small groups of people stuck in space. Because I mean, the immediate antecedent is uh, gravity, gravity, right? Which it's not. I don't think it's anything like gravity, really. No. Like gravity is more than like that a, they're in space. I'm stuck on this, you know, swirling massive thing. Um, the Martian's much more of a survivalist kind of. You know, it's more like Castaway. Yeah, and I don't think The Martian isn't really action-y. Like, I no. thought there was a lot of action. There were a lot of action sequences in Gravity of, like, flying through things with stuff hurtling at your face and trying to get the wrench in time. And, right. Uh, this will be more like this is this guy tinkering with the stuff that he has at hand and trying to solve the problem. It's like Space MacGyver. Yeah, where, you know, The Martian is much more kind of, like, kind of puzzly. you got to figure out how I'm going to stay here and thinking about things and... Anyway, I, I think it's going to be a good movie. Um, Ridley Scott knows how to shoot space, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Matt Damon is not an idiot. So I think if they do, and again, this is just they're in talks and these things can fall apart. But it does seem like a very nice kind of uh, yeah. grouping of people here. These so. are good talks. I would like it if they continued having them. So, and who knows when that'll be. It's going to take a little while. But um, that's uh, The Martian, Andy Weir. If you haven't read it yet, 
or and all interested in it, it'd be a good summer book. I think. It, I think it it really would. Like it, it was one of those that I think maybe Liberty Hardy, one of our contributors, was the first person that I saw mention it. And uh, when I finally got my hands on it, I started reading it in the evening, and I ended up way way past my bedtime. <laughs> I'm trying to finish it. I think on the night before a podcast recording. Oh, <laughs> like, I think I remember. I remember this trying now, yeah. to do the show and make some sense after I had been awake until 4 a.m. Uh, reading it, but it was so good. And, um, and just so, so good and really engaging, perfect for summer travel or laying by the pool or like, even if you're staying home, you can imagine that you're traveling in space. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's good. Um, all right. More news we're happy about. Yeah. Talks, uh, talking about talks that are productive. Yeah. So as, as you listeners have known, we've been following, um, recently, the discussions about the lack of diversity in publishing in, in books um, in America, especially. I know less about the rest of the world, I should say. So this is largely a U.S., North America, U.K. sort of discussion we've been having. Um, but First Book, which is a nonprofit that provides new books to kids in need, has called out publishers, essentially, saying, if you print books um, with diverse characters and by diverse authors, we will buy a bunch of them. And mm -hmm. 10,000 copies of every title they select. It's so great. That is, that, and that is not a joke amount of it's, titles. It's not a joke. Even if, it, even if there's only one title and they commit to buying 10,000 copies of that one title, that would be a huge thing. Most books do not sell 10,000 copies. Um, we've talked so many times on the show about how uh, the problems of racism and sexism that exist in publishing exist at every point in the process, at every link on the chain. And one of the pieces is that not enough books are published that have um, that are by people of color and that feature people of color in them. And one of the excuses that's given in the sort of circular argument of it all is like, well, all the books that sell are by white mm -hmm. people. And about white people. And then you go back to, well, you're only printing books by white people and about white people. So those are the only books that can sell. And uh, First Book wanted to create uh, what they call a market-driven solution to it and prove if you start making these books by people of color and that feature people of color, um, we will buy them and we'll put our money uh, where our mouths are. And we'll show you that you can sell these, that um, readers want to see themselves and they want to see their diverse, beautiful world in their books. It, I'm so proud of First Book for this. It's like it's the exact kind of thing that we needed to see an organization who is in the position to do it do. It's just great. So a couple of things interesting too. A part of it too is they're going to make affordable paperback editions of diverse titles that have only been available heretofore as hardcover. So awesome. that makes a huge difference in availability. Um, they also provided this is a, uh, on the First Book blog a couple of pie charts show, sort of showing a couple of different disparities that are relevant here. One is the ethnicity of characters depicted in children's books. And it looks like it's about, I would say, 90% mm -hmm. white. They don't mm -hmm. give, a, they don't break it out statistically, so you kind of have to just eyeball it. Um, the where, difference is pretty striking. Yeah, though. very striking. Whereas the ethnicity of children from low-income families, only about, it looks like I say about a third uh -huh. of those kids are white. So not only um, are white people disproportionately represented in books, but for first book, who is focusing on low income families who don't have as as good of access to books, white people are underrepresented there. So there's even more need um, and more difference to make up um, in in matching at least somehow getting close mm -hmm. or at least getting closer to something that's like parity where 
that these kids are seeing their stories and their their people and their folks and their friends and their families in the books that they're reading. So there's not much more to say about that than, than great. Yeah, Heroes of the Week. Um, I will great be interested job. to see how how this develops, what the timeline will be. I'm really interested in what the titles will yeah, be, Yeah, I too. think that's the most interesting thing is what we're actually going to see. So when we find that out, we will definitely um, right. talk we'll about be, it on the show. and We'll be following that. But some, we talked about the We Need Diverse Books campaign either last week or the week before on the show um, that was put together by a group of authors and it's still running um, people all over Twitter and Facebook are sharing their own reasons and why diverse books matter to them but it's really great to see that bubbling up into um, parts of publishing and the book community uh, that have uh, you know the position and the power and the funding to make uh, some real changes and so you can continue to follow that story also mm -hmm. but I, I feel good about this. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, this next one, I not mean, it's so good. not. A, it, I mean, it's not good or bad on, in the meta scale. It's weird. I'll tell you that much. Um, so this week, the story came out about Misha Dufonseca, who was, uh, who claimed to be. Well, I'm already giving away the story. <laughs> uh, a Holocaust survivor who um, went through the Holocaust in World War II when she was a child, seven or eight years old, um, born Monica Duvall. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, said she said that she got away from her parents during the Holocaust, went into the woods. Uh, she killed a Nazi soldier, was raised by wolves for a little while, um, got a book deal, a huge one, sold a bunch of books. The book came out in 1997. Came out a while ago, and... I know you're going to be shocked to hear this. Turns out this was a bunch of uh, horse pucky. This was not true, the yep. stuff she was claiming to say. And she has finally been ordered after a long back-and-forth legal battle over many years, mm -hmm. um, finally ordered by a judge to pay back $22.5 million <laughs> to her publisher. Which is a lot of money that for a book a, deal. I mean, that is a, just so much I guess, money. Yeah, I guess for a book deal plus residual sales and royalties from the success of this book. This was the first that I had heard of this story, I guess, because it's, it sounds like it's been in court for yeah. a while. Um, and now there's finally been this r ruling. But, I mean, to fabricate your memoir is one thing, but to fabricate your memoir about... You know, having been a victim of one of the greatest atrocities of human yeah, history geez. is a whole other level of not great. Um, yeah. So what happened so, was she got she had gotten away with it until two thousand eight. How did she get caught? Apparently, um, there were researchers going through Holocaust archives, kind of looking for you know trying to match names with stories that they knew mm. about, uh, and they couldn't find her. Um, her name, the original name, anything, which sort of got people wondering. Uh, and that started a chain of events that turned out that she had made it all. It's also a weird story that that her publisher um, overheard her telling this story to someone at a Massachusetts synagogue oh, and said, man. you should write a book about this. And she's like, okay. I don't like, think okay. I read that piece. Wow. Uh, so anyway, and while it was coming out, she claimed she didn't know the real names of her own parents or her birthday or where she was born or anything because mm -hmm. she was a kid, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess maybe you can say, she, I don't know, it's weird to think how they would rationalize this. Well, she was eight years old and well, she couldn't remember her parents' yeah, names. It's saying kind of weird. She was exposed in what it says 2008 was when the researchers yeah. found this, um, when they couldn't find evidence of her family in the Holocaust 
archives, but between 1997 and 2008, the book was translated into 18 languages. I mean, look, I, I think, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm undupable because I so am, but anytime you get the Raised by Wolves appellation thrown in there, don't you think if you're a publisher, like, you know, maybe we should do something about that? Like, I mean, how, I don't you know. You can't fact check Raised by Wolves, really, though. Well, like, but I guess, like, I don't know, just like, do you a little person, more than your normal due diligence? Right, like, if you can find evidence that the person was living somewhere other than in the forest with a bunch of wolves at the time. Yeah, so but anyway. Uh, it's... It sounds like she was. She wasn't I mean, even Jewish, and she was enrolled in a Brussels school through World War II. I mean, clearly, I mean, just not even close. To clearly, what she said was the happening. onus on is on her. For sure, sure. No, I, I don't want to blame the publisher. This story, really but it's it is bad job publisher like to to put especially a story of such a sensitive and potentially powerful nature out into the world without checking your facts. Yeah, the I best mean, the best line she said in two thousand. Did you see this line? Uh, the story is mine. It is not actually reality, but my reality, my way of surviving. Oh, boy. I don't know what that is exactly. I think that is uh, 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 crap, I think is the word I'm looking for. I think for. that's crap, yeah. Um, so anyway, that I think that's maybe one of the weirdest stories I've seen around publishing since we first started <laughs> Maybe, doing the show. You know what? Knowing publishing, she'll probably get a memoir deal to write about why she wrote a fake <laughs> memoir. <laughs> she, maybe a James Frey will ghostwrite it. <laughs> or they can be buddies. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's good. That's uh, a thing that happened this week. At least it got okay, resolved. Okay, we're going to skip that one. Uh, Chipotle. Let's talk about this. <laughs> yes. Speaking well, of weird stories, I mean... <laughs> It was kind of a weird. I thought this was. I swore this was going to be an onion article. Like I did not believe <laughs> this. I even thought like uh, Michelle sent it to me first, actually by email, which I don't know. Just not the normal. Way. She she often send us stuff she th mm -hmm. think I'd be interested in. So it, that wasn't unusual. But I was just like, there's something smelled funny about it. But but it's real. Uh, so I don't even know. This, so I'll okay, do, I can imagine. A, okay, say you're Jonathan Saffron Four. Just for just just pretend that's who you are. It hurts, but I'll try. Uh, and you are eating a sad burrito by yourself one day, and you're like, "Hey, uh, I left my phone, my book, magazine, um, uh, my iPod, or anything. I'm 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 bored, and I'm sitting. I'm at a writer, a, but however, will I occupy I, I, myself? I'm sitting at your pool, and he's like, "You know what? I just wanted to die with frustration." He told Vanity Fair. Uh, and lo and behold, just let me find my tiny fiddle for Jonathan <laughs> because, Saffron. Ford. And because Jonathan, you're Jonathan Saffron Four, and you know things like this, he knows the CEO of Chipotle. Sure, he does. Who we contact and said, you know what? Uh, I bet a bunch of people are are every day eating your nachos and your carnitas burrito, and they don't have anything to read. Why don't we put some literature on your cups and bags? And you know what? Steve Ells, the Chipotle CEO, said, "Yep, let's do that." And and so it's happening. And so it is happening where there will be short bits of writing. I'm gonna I'm putting a pin in that phrase just for now. Okay. Um, on cups and bags. So far, the announced um, authors: Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Morrison, George Saunders. And Michael Lewis, who just came off Flashpoint. And then Jonathan was... Safran for recruited them and edited yes. the pieces. He's, uh, I guess, essentially the, the curator of this project. It's called Cultivating Thought. Is uh, the, of course the, it which is. Which just sounds so terrible. <laughs> There's... Man, you know, okay, first of all, I'm super stoked that I get to read I really wanted to be Morrison. called Burrito Pioneers, but that's not... <laughs> that's too much to ask. Sorry. Just laying in the just, weeds for you on that one. I just have nothing there. Yeah. 
We, but I mean, come on, we like this. You know, we, we like this. Like it's this. it's like, absurd, the, but we like yeah, like the fr- okay, the framing of it, I think, is what's problematic. You mean like, four sitting around like four, eating a sad right, burrito? Four being, four being like, I just, I, I okay, I don't even know a sad burrito. I've never met a burrito <laughs> that made me sad. So he's doing something wrong there. And I, plenty of people pointed out on Twitter, like, this is a guy who's written incredible novels. He has an imagination on him, but like he couldn't endure eating his burrito in silence with his brain for company for 10 minutes. Very, very strange. <laughs> and also, there's already writing on the chipotle cups because i read it every time i eat a burrito yeah right it's um, about how the so chicken is organic and as stuff, a person right? who uh, and i would guess that you are like this and that many of our listeners are like this who reads anything that is put in front of them yeah. whether they want to or not like it's not even voluntary i'm reading the chipotle cup i'm reading the cereal box i'm reading whatever's on the side of my shampoo bottle like it's kind of great that now the stuff that i'm going to be involuntarily reading is going to be written by the likes of tony morrison and malcolm gladwell and they, like there's a sample of the Toni Morrison piece in this Vanity Fair link. Well, can we, we talk about and... this for a minute? What is this? <laughs> I'm very concerned, Shinsky. I'm very worried. <laughs> it's a dark piece from Toni Morrison. Let Jeff. me read you the first couple. It's called Two Minute Seduction by Toni Morrison. All right. I, I'm not going to do a dramatic reading because you know, I'll either weep or I feel cry like or break. Toni Morrison is punking Jonathan that, okay, Safran for. But, but don't say that before I read the thing. <laughs> I took my heart out and gave it to a writer made heartless by fame, someone who needed to pump blood into veins, desiccated by the suck and roar of crowds, slobbering or poisoning or licking up the red froth they mistake for happiness because happiness looks just like a heart painted on a valentine cup or tattooed on an arm that has never been held a victim or comforted a hurt friend. That's the first sentence. What is that? Is he making fun of Jonathan Saffron oh, Foer? I feel like she might be. I think that she might be. And because she's Toni Morrison, she does it so well and so slyly that maybe he didn't even... Happiness looks just like a heart painted realize. on a Valentine cup. Like... I took my heart okay, out and gave it to a writer, Fred, made heartless by fame? I, ha- I, may- I think that you're in this camp, too. I have some... I have some Toni Morrison on a pedestal things happening in my head where I was like, first, does Toni Morrison know what Chipotle is? Does Toni Morrison eat burritos or does like sustenance? We have so many, we, I mean, you and I could probably just sit and watch a video of Toni Morrison (laughs) going about her daily business and be riveted by it. Sustenance just infuses itself into Toni Morrison. She takes it from the air and then when she types a word, it comes into her that way. Like Toni Morrison is magical. She breathes in the force and it comes out dreadlock (laughs) out of the back of her head. Yes. like, so I, yeah, it is weird. Like maybe it's, like she, I just want to know what the conversation was like. Like, did he, did JSF pick up the phone and call Tony Morrison and be like, Hey, Tony, well, he is super do you want to write to some, the Princeton creative writing faculty of which do she you want to write some stuff on a Chipotle cup? And like, she immediately knew what that would look like. And she said, yes, or was it and like, this was at, the result. Okay, look at this. We fool. Could spend, I'm going to write this. Gonna, we could spend Chipotle a six part, uh, podcast talking about Tony Morrison's close Chipotle readings cup. of Tony Morrison's Chipotle. Um, anyway, so, uh, that's what's going on. So the next time, let's see. Uh, let's see. They're out say, now. Like, They're out now this week. I apparently. want to like collect them all. I hope they do some sort of reading or like launch event at a Chipotle where people can go and shake Tony Morrison's hand and get a burrito. Like maybe you can share a cup of guacamole with her. I uh, do you think Tony My Morrison has to pay really extra for guac? <laughs> they make her pay the extra dollar for guacamole. No. Do you think she? They do. You know they do. They don't know. <laughs> Maybe I bet there are a lot of struggling writers in New York working at Chipotle's, and they would recognize Toni Morrison if she came in. 
I, I don't know. I, this is all very. <laughs> this, the, the conversation we're having about this is indicative of how absurdly great. It's great. No, I love it. I do, but I just have I so it. many like, questions. The, yeah, the framing of it was kind of problematic in the way that for I want to know how much they got it. paid. And I want to know that. The, yeah, people on the internet, you know, made a big, like, terrible stink about it, as people on the internet do. But, like, when push comes to shove, well, having shut a up bunch people of... people the internet. Like, this is all right. This is okay. Having a bunch of, you know, world-class writers put stuff on cups that people read involuntarily. Like, maybe they'll go out and buy a Malcolm Gladwell book. Maybe they'll go pick up Beloved. I don't care how you convert. I just care that you do. Or even if you don't, like, Toni Morrison on the side of a million cups is not the worst thing that's ever happened. This is a net good for the world. And Michael I think. Lewis, I mean, and Thor can write his way. You know, he knows what he's doing too, and so does Gladwell. I mean, mm-hmm. this is there's nothing, there's no, there's no <laughs> joke here. I mean, I guess if you don't like it, it's the cultivating thought branding thing. Like, okay, I could do without that, but you know what? They're a big giant corporation. I've seen giant corporations do tens of thousands of things they thought was going to be cool branding. That's not nearly as oh, cool yeah. as this. Oh yeah, this is not bad idea committee. No, not at all, not at all. So. Anyway, uh, head out to your – and if you get a cup that's not uh, Lewis, Gladwell, uh, Saunders – what did you see Saunders' piece? I did, wasn't in the Vanity Pair. No, I didn't, was, I didn't go looking for it. Who knows what that's going to be? I was be. still Good trying to Lord. process. It's going to be like otherworldly science projects with burritos or maybe like a theme park built around burritos. You go down a nacho chip slide. Yeah. Looking up the red froth, they mistake for happiness. That's the side. That's what you're reading while you're eating your uh, your uh, steak burrito. It's totally. To- it has to be Tony Morrison punking Chipotle. or something. There's something else going on that, that is beyond my ken uh, to understand. Um, this right. might be my favorite weird publishing story of the year. So it's far. not even publishing though. Like it, this is just like writers in like big business. I mean, it's That's weird. I, if you go out and get a Chipotle cup, send us a selfie with it. Oh, please! please. Oh, I'm going to Chipotle <laughs> this week. I got to get a selfie with the Morrison cup. I'm going to be like, can you? Do you have the sleeves of the cups with writers on them? I'm do you know what I'm talking diet, about? Could Dr. you please Pepper find me one? Yeah, right. At least put full sugar, Dr. Pepper, in your Tony mm, Morrison cup, Jeff. I feel like it's 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 all so fraught with meaning. I'm not but sure what I'm going to do. Honor her with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh I, we can need a minute to recover from that. <laughs> do you want me to? What? Let's do the next sponsor. Yeah. Okay. Do the. Yeah. I'm <laughs> going to take a break. Here. You take a break. This is lighter. We'll talk about YA. Young adult fiction. Uh, throughout the month of May, Scholastic's This Is Teen community, which they run online, is sharing a simple statement. I read YA. Uh, so if you read young adult books, they'd love to hear from you. Uh, it's a celebration of young adult fiction for all of the people who read it, not just teenagers, uh, because there's great YA being written that's relevant and interesting to adults, too, no matter how many bad think pieces say otherwise. <laughs> uh, you can tweet your young adult book recommend- recommendations to them uh, at this underscore is underscore teen or using the I read YA hashtag to get in on the conversation to see other authors and readers and you'll be entered to win some prizes uh, and you can also follow them at this is teen.tumblr.com uh, also this coming week the week of May 19th is the official I read YA week so the whole campaign is going on um, for the month but this coming week uh, when the show drops is the big week um, and you can celebrate your YA pride all over the internet and meet other people uh, who also read YA. It occurs to me also that like, if you have been sort of dancing around the idea of trying out some young adult fiction, but you don't know where to start, there's a ton of it, uh, and it comes in all genres, uh, this might be a great place to start getting recommendations. You can follow This Is Teen uh, on Twitter. You could check out this I Read YA hashtag and see what the titles are uh, that people are celebrating. 
Uh, and I thought I would throw out some book recommendations for uh, for young adult fiction if you have never tried. Uh, my favorite young adult writer is named A.S. King, and she writes stories that take on its contemporary realistic um, fiction, except with some magical realism and surreal elements thrown in. Uh, so uh, what is at its heart a story about a teenager whose family looks perfect, but of course everyone in the family has their own set of problems, and the teenager is trying to figure figure out uh, her sexuality. She thinks that she might be gay. Um, but how to make sense of this when you live in a small town with a family that seems totally perfect? How do you tell them uh, that you think you might be gay when you know that's going to be a problem? for your family, but there are also some magical pieces and slightly surreal things that come in uh, to her story and her experience as she figures it out. Uh, that book is Ask the Passengers. Uh, one of her other great books is called Please Ignore Vera Dietz, uh, and a very big young adult novel that like is the big buzzy uh, YA title for the summer and just came out earlier this week, and it's called We Were Liars by E. Lockhart. Um, I was going to mention it during the new book segment uh, later, uh, later on, but it's about a a teenager from a very privileged family like they own a private island in what seems like the Hamptons or that like the Long Island area where the family spends the summer uh, and each of uh, the daughters in the family has her own house where she raises her kids each summer and some disaster happens and we are with the teenage character as she recovers from uh, the disaster and tries to piece her memories of it back together and also um, like sort of putting together a broken family and recovering from her first love and there's a big surprise twist uh, you're supposed to lie if people ask you how it ends because it's quite surprising. Mm. Uh, so that's one to take a look at as well. And we want to thank the folks at Scholastic and their This Is Teen community for sponsoring. So again, you can check out thisisteen.tumblr.com or the hashtag IReadYA on Twitter. Let's do new books running long. All right. I got, one, I, I got, I got a surprise one for you. Oh, you do? You go first. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, nonfiction. I think I'm going to do this on audio. Um, it's called Console Wars, Sega, mm. Nintendo, and the Battle that Defined a Generation by Blake oh. J. Harris. It's about the early 90s um, Sega versus Nintendo and the beginning of video games as being a major American industry. I'm all over this. This is right in my wheelhouse of I yeah, grew up sounds... watching um, all of this happen, um, and I'm super fascinated. It's about... You know, every it kind of starts off with in the coin-op days, coin-operated arcades, as you all know, mm -hmm. um, and a couple of the titans of the wars, um, Miyamoto, uh, Shiguro Miyamoto, sorry, if you know Japanese and I butchered that, I'm so sorry, um, who we all know now as the creator of Mario Brothers and Zelda and Metroid and a lot of the classic Nintendo games, was working the, in a, the coin-op part. And he started this, his first little game is something you might know called Donkey Kong. Oh, man. Um, and just all the way all the way up through kind of the beginning of the end for the Sega versus Nintendo wars when the first Sony PlayStation came out. But Sega and Nintendo were locked in heated combat for a, the better part of a decade or more. And uh, this is the history of that story. So I, that that's new in hardback this week, but it's also that available sounds, on Audible. That sounds so interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm, like, I'm I was a Nintendo kid all the way, but oh, I love me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that development of technology industry sort of story. Yeah. I'll be interested to hear how that one goes. I'm looking forward to it. 
uh, one of my favorite books uh, of the year so far uh, has come out this week. It's called To Rise Again at a Decent Hour by Joshua Ferris. Uh, he wrote Then We Came to the End, uh, which he was made very famous uh, for. And he had another novel uh, that had sort of middling reviews, but I fell on the side of really loving it, uh, called The Unnamed. Uh, and this is the story, uh, like, I will say, when we joke about literary fiction being white people in Brooklyn having feelings, <laughs> uh, like, this is definitely that brand of literary fiction. I think Joshua Ferris does that incredibly well, and that sometimes that's what I want to read. Uh, it's about a dentist uh, in Brooklyn who uh, prides himself on like being as disconnected from all of technology and sort of contemporary culture as he can be. He's like reluctantly put the internet into his office because his assistants and the dental hygienist needed it for billing and, you know, to keep track of uh, all the stuff with their patients, but he doesn't want to be connected. And so there's not a website for his practice. He doesn't have a Facebook page. And he discovers though, that someone has created a bunch of online accounts impersonating him and built a website for his practice and like is leaving, you know, insane culty, pseudo-religious sounding comments under his name uh, on baseball message boards that he follows mm -hmm. on New York Times stories and like you all we all know what the comment section on any news website mm -hmm. looks like uh, and he f eventually tries to track down and get in touch with whoever this is that is impersonating him online and try to figure out like, why is someone impersonating him online? Why did someone build his business a website? And why are there um, statements about this religion that he's never heard of before and sort of a race of people that he's never heard of before, but that they are trying to convince him that he's connected to. Uh, it's really, uh, it's really unsettling. A lot of times you don't quite know what the reality is, um, whether he's going a little bit off or he's being completely had, uh, if it's some big conspiracy or if it's just somebody jacking with him. Um, I really liked the book when I read it a couple of months ago. And the longer that I've had away from it, the more I find myself thinking about it and still wondering and like looking at how Ferris, uh, what he did with the story and coming closer to the side of loving it. Um, the reviews are back and forth. There's been positive stuff and some really negative stuff about it. So you might want to Google and see if you think that that'll be a fit for you or take a look. But I really love Joshua Ferris and I thought it was a strong entry from him. And a book that I loved last year is out in paperback this week, and it is Want Not by Jonathan Miles. Uh, I won't say too much about it since we're running long, but it's three interconnected uh, stories about people whose lives are defined by uh, waste and by desire. Uh, and it's a really smart, also a really funny comment on contemporary culture. Um, one of the best things that I read last year. And those are new books, and that's our show. New books, that's our show. I am reading Ape on Twitter, as always. Uh, you are Rebecca Shinsky on Twitter. That's Rebecca. You spelled the regular way, not the other way. Uh, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. You can always find us writing at bookriot.com. Bookriot is wherever you want to go on social media. I guess we don't have a MySpace page. Probably, I don't think we do. So you no, can't find I'll, us like, there. get bored some weekend <laughs> and build us one. And really build out our MySpace presence. Um, uh, but you can Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Pinterest email uh, all the normal places uh, let's see I think that's if you do need to email us oh, you can do that yes. at podcast at bookriot.com you can find show uh, notes bookriot.com slash podcast right and if you want to review the show um, to help other people find it you can rate or review it on iTunes and we will appreciate uh, all of that as well alright well have a good week everybody and we'll uh, see you this time uh, next week have a good one bye